joining Real Talk with Lisa Patrick. Hello, Jack, my friend, my friend. I'm so excited for today. I can hardly stand it. <laughs> How are you doing? <laughs> yes, you know, it should be a good topic. Today. Good topic. We've been working on this for a while. We have, we have. So Jack, rather than me sitting here talking about how great and wonderful you are and, and what an amazing human you are, first and foremost, never mind your brilliant mind, uh, I just want to ask you, uh, did you share this? Of course I've shared it. I was just putting it out while you were introducing it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. No, in all, in all seriousness, no. Talk a little bit about... Um, you know, your, your career trajectory and how you got to be where you are today? Well, I, I started doing computer programming in high school. I actually had my own company in high school and then through college um, without going through, you know, four or five different companies over 25 plus years. Uh, yeah. <laughs> basically, yeah, exactly. though, I did a lot, a lot in the CRM space, a lot in the business intelligence space and did a ton in the dot-com space in the 2000s. Uh, worked for both Oracle and Teradata as large vendors, so I got to see that side of the business. And then uh, did an aviation software company the last 10 years or so that's finally been sold, and I'm just about out of, 90% uh, out of it now, trying to fully get, get out of that company. We've had a few conversations uh, about that particular company. Yeah, already. they, uh, you know, it's been, uh, it's, it's been a journey with that company. All good, but uh, yeah, so we're on now to working on end-to-end -end results and trying to help companies scale their technology, scale their business, work with their both their IT and business staff, to be honest, because a lot of times that's more the issue than the technology. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I think one of the best stories that I heard um, when was actually when we were down to Orlando, down in Orlando, not too long ago, and you were talking about how you pioneered something when you, I think you were working at Oracle at the time. Oh, just before, well, it was just after Oracle. So, yeah. so talk that, a little bit about that so people kind of understand and get us. Yeah, at Oracle, I, I did a lot. I was like a global CTO for data warehousing and stuff. And then I got hired by a uh, startup called uh, MatchLogic, and we invented the one-by-one -one pixel that uh, tracks you around the internet. So you can thank our company way back then. It doesn't exist anymore. It's been bought and sold several times. Uh, the patents have expired. So, But long story short, um, we couldn't process a day's worth of clicks in a day. So uh, we, I, I got together with several vendors, uh, uh, eventually Teradata, uh, a couple companies Oracle ended up buying that, that weren't, were independent at the time. We created real-time data warehousing. So back then you had to wait a day, three, three times a day, maybe you got your reports. In this case, now you could get them basically to the minute, to the five minutes, uh, basically real-time. And that's, uh, that was very new technology back then. I did a lot of speaking all over the world on how to set those up. Yeah, absolutely. And we we've talked a lot about that, right? About, um, you know, some of the, some of your previous work and, and how that's really helped you to define and figure out what companies have real value in the market yeah. when they're trying to pitch and so forth. And, yeah. and so that's really the goal of, of today. We want to solve the problem because you and I have been, I mean, most recently I was involved with a, a pitch marathon here in Canada and, I seriously, by the time, I don't know who was advising these teams, but it was just like, wow, like we don't as investors care about, you know, and we know we've got investor networks as well. We don't care about the features. We don't care right. about the market size. We care about what is the problem, how, you know, what's the money that you want and how are you going to get our investment back? 
So what's, you know, talk a little bit about some of the things that you look for, because you're down in Utah, you, you know, you've got a really big investors network there, pre-seed, seed, you know, venture capital. What, you know, in that demographic of area is, you know, what are they looking for for companies? Well, you know, we call it Silicon Slopes here. In fact, I live on yeah. the hill that is Silicon Slopes. Uh, so <laughs> lots of, you look at Silicon Valley, Austin, you know, Denver, Boulder area, and then and then Silicon Slopes here in Utah. We've all got a lot of high tech, and they're looking for companies that can scale. They they, but more so, they're looking for owners that they can trust with their money. So yeah. good ideas that have to have uh, a, a decent management team that you can trust. And then, uh, you know, a product mix that, you know, you can sell. And there's lots of problems with all three of those that I've worked with a lot of companies to solve. But uh, uh, that's that's the key on that. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, what do you see the most common mistake that people are making? I mean, we talk about this all the time. And sometimes we're just like, oh, my God, like, seriously. But what are some of the common problems that you see i mean yeah. i know you were involved at, at a certain event we talked a little bit about this you know and you you muddled under your breath like oh my god help me like right but that actually ended up resulting in an opportunity for you so uh, it's it's funny how some of those some of our actions or reactions to certain things can really inspire people to connect with us so talk a little bit about that yeah, so the biggest thing I see when these these companies are trying to raise money, uh, especially if they're founders and they're you know either pre-revenue or just into revenue, but they're not yep. big yet, right? They're yeah, they're under two three hundred employees. They might even just have five or ten or five even. But long story short, they tell the story of the product, they tell their story uh, like they're talking to a customer, and you're not talking to a customer. You're talking to the investor. The investor wants to know how much money. Am I putting in? You said this earlier in this in this session, right? Yeah. When am I going to get it back? Is it guaranteed? And then what's the path to get there? Right. They really don't care if your uncle's brother was whoever <laughs> or uh, how many kids you have. I mean, that's all interesting. They may get into that over time as they invest. But uh, but as far as the initial pitch, it's it's not very relevant. Well, and I think it's too. It's been my experience, and you and I have been involved in like I several pitch decks now trying to get money and we've got some clients that you and I are working on together to help them find funding. So if you're looking to invest uh, in a company, you know, please reach out to Jack or I, or if you've got an idea or you're looking for, you know, pre-seed, after-seed, you know, series A round funding, whatever it may happen to be, reach out to us as well. But I think one of the the, the big problems I see, uh, and you tell me if I'm wrong, is we have some really talented founders, like exceptionally talented, really great ideas. You know, they might even have market share currently and are looking, you know, for that hockey stick pendulum. The problem is, is that their founders invested emotionally into the product and they're so invested in, like you said, the fact that they want to sell the idea as opposed to sell why an investor wants to to purchase uh, or sell why the investor actually wants to invest, not just in you and your team, but right. in the idea. And so what is the one financial uh, acumen that you would you would suggest would be the best way for a founder to really start to knowledge up on the best way to present that idea from a financial perspective? Well, I think I think, first of all, 
you should never, for an initial meeting, you can have your 30, 40 slides. You're going to get through five or 10. So have that presentation in five or 10. And then from a finance perspective, uh, you can do this either way. It depends on who you're talking to. Some investors like it, like to see the numbers first. And then they don't even want to know what the company is. They want to see the numbers first so they can put that in their head and then talk about the rest of the, pro then talk about the product space and TAM and all that other good stuff. Well, I'm, and, I think uh, I want to just see, hey, this is in travel or this is in, you know, technology. Exactly. This is a social app and then show the numbers and then get into the pitch deck on why you're going to grow how he's going to get his money back and what's guaranteed. If, well, if and you, made, you made a good point uh, is that know your investor. Number right. one, know who you're, know who you're speaking to. Cause we belong to a group. It's where we met. We met uh, through JT Fox as the founders, right? You've been there for a while and, and I invested in going into, into the, um, to the network with JT and, you know, know your, like when people are, in, are pitching to us as a collective group and pitching to JT, you need to understand who are you speaking to? And every, like you said, every investor is different. Would you say that the majority want the ask and what the money is first? Or would you say that that's unique in perspective and it's more about understanding the problem first and then the dollars? I I, I, I don't know. I it, It's, you really got to ask what they want to see. But, but I would say this, the higher the net worth, the less they care about the product details. So uh, they may get into them over time through due diligence, but on that initial presentation, the less they care about the product details. So the higher the net worth, the person, if they're a billionaire, they're going to want to see the numbers. What mm -hmm. space am I in? Like I said, travel, technology, whatever, social media, whatever. And then uh, what's your plan? What's your product and plan to grow? Right. They, they, they don't really care if you have this feature or that feature. They might care about patents and things like that, but they're certainly not going to care that you know, you have a plus sign and they have an ad sign or whoever the heck knows, right? So that kind of thing. Um, making that up, but you get the idea. The, getting into the details of your product is a bad idea on that initial presentation to most high net worth people. Again, there will always be follow-ups where they're going to want to go into that detail generally before they give you the money. So you'll have time to do that. Yeah. And I think too, even when you're doing that, I think one of the, one of the good recommendations is, is don't get caught in industry jargon. Because yeah. what happens is that doesn't matter who the, unless they're really specialized in your particular industry yeah. that you're presenting to, they don't understand the jargon. And so you start using all these words that nobody understands. And now all of a sudden you've got to have a dictionary for, for the conversation. And that, we've yeah. seen that happen a few times. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Uh, we've, I, I, we've done a couple that have been outside our space, uh, you know, I, yeah. I, I worked in travel for a while, so I had a good feel for that with the aviation stuff. Yeah. But uh, the, they were throwing around terms that only somebody that had implemented an aviation system would know. And, uh, you, you know, you and I took all that out of the presentation, put it into backup slides. Exactly. Well, and it's funny because when you're dealing with software developers, uh, like, and you would know this space much better than I know this space. But they get so caught into the features of the software, right. even in deep dive, right? Like right. when you go into the deep dive and now you're in your second conversation, um, nobody, like we don't need to understand. The investor doesn't need to understand all the finite details. They just need to understand how does it function. And they want to know why you're different. 
why you win versus the competition if they're and, and never say there's no competition there's always competition uh yeah. it's just a matter of is it a direct competitor an indirect competitor you know five years ago ten years ago everybody was using the term disruptive you had to be disruptive to get money uh, that term's not used quite as much anymore but uh those kinds of things though why are you different why will you win versus again each little widget that's in your product and it does boil down to team and we'll talk about that in a minute a minute but i think you know it that question really signa signals to the investor do you really know your market i think and that's really important too like are you a young investor are you an older investor have you been in the industry for a long time i think that's really important how do you how does one really understand how to pitch what that differentiator is and it can't be just because you believe it to be true right like how do they articulate and we've we've seen that oh no i know i know I, I believe i've got the best idea like yeah great but nobody cares right so how do they articulate that in a way to show that they have the acumen behind what they're trying to well how have you tested your idea <clears throat> if you just come to an investor with an idea and you've got a prototype and nobody's bought it nobody's seen it um why are you wasting your time? <clears throat> Excuse me. If you have a, um, there, there's been numerous deals that we've looked at where they've had, say, a, let's take an app, 500 people on an app, right? But they haven't proven they can market it and sell it. These are just their beta users or their, their friends and family users, things like that. So I think the key is, is uh, your idea, how is the market accepting it? It doesn't have to have 10,000 users when you go to the investor, but it better have more than friends and family so that you can validate that the way you're going to distribute this app is going to work the way you're going to sell this app is going to work. Well, and I think the, I think you bring up a, that's an application example versus a product, but similar. Yeah, thing. exactly. Yeah. But I think too, here's the other thing that we talk about lots when we're, when we're vetting deals, especially that have got a software component behind them is that, you think that you're going to need a million dollars in your testing phase. Uh, and you and I are both giggling for, for various reasons because we can think off the top of our head without listing anybody's names. But um, why is that? Why are we giggling? Why is that not the reality? Well, software is expensive. You always need more money than you think. So, uh, and I'm guilty. I used to be guilty of this in my younger career, right? If I go back mm -hmm. 20 years ago, 15 years ago, I thought about how much does it take to build it, right? I didn't really think about the testing, the rollout, the marketing, all that other good stuff. Maybe 20 years ago, now I'm thinking about it. But anyway, point is, is that there's it takes a lot, it takes a lot of money. You, you mean a few a few hairs ago? A few hairs ago, a lot of hairs ago, actually. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> um, but no, the the real problem here is is that software always it always takes longer and more money than you think. So when people come to us and go, I can do it for a million dollars. Immediately I, during any kind of due diligence, I'm looking for why is it not three? Why is it not one and a half? Why is it not yeah. five million? Right. And some of these deals have come to us with three quarter million million and the right numbers have been three to five million when we've done the due diligence. Now, they don't have to collect all that up front. Right. We can figure out how to bucket it and, tra and tranche it. But, yeah. but representing the investor that you can get to X number of revenue with, you know, Y number of investment. Um, that's not really, a lot of times it's not true. You're asking for a million to get to a $10 million revenue, but really it's going to take 3 million to get to that 10 million yeah. revenue. Yeah, because you don't know what you don't know. And with software, I mean, things happen, things break that you can't anticipate when you're in, in the testing phase, right? 
Yeah, and that's a software example. You have other examples with hard products, right? With supply yeah. chains and manufacturing, shipping, and yeah. uh, you know, warehousing yeah. and logistics stuff like that. Well, and I mean, we're in, we're in the thick of you know supply chain problems, right? There's there's no question about that right now. Uh, we've we've got a um, uh, a note here from, and I apologize, Bat Batwalula, I think is how you say your name. Amen. Praise God. Thank, yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, I think that, you know, if, if you have a comment or question that you, you'd like to ask Jack or I, please feel free to use the comments below. And if you like what you're hearing so far, you know, don't forget, sharing is caring. <laughs> like us on yeah. all the instant, instant uh, the uh, social media and Instagram and things of that nature. Sure. Exactly, exactly. All right. So tell me a time, Jack, when somebody came to you um, and they wanted an investment and their pitch deck was horrific. You fixed it. You found you found the actual investor and you got them the money. What did that like how when you think about timelines, does it vary? Because I, I know we are working on a couple projects. I mean, we've been working on one project since April to try to get funding. Yeah, some of, normally it's not weeks. Normally it's going to be months, um, mainly because you have to align so the first thing when I see a pitch, other than saying, is this something I want to spend my time on? Do I think this is real? Do I believe yeah. in, the, in the person, right? I, I try to vet that out in the first meeting. But in the back of my head, at the same time, I'm thinking about who would want to invest in this? Who, who would want to invest in this? And what could be a potential exit strategy? Literally, we're looking at that in the first meeting because that's going to define the type of investor. Are you going after investors that want quick flips, first money in, first money out? They invest bridge loans. Um, um, initial uh, initial investments that are taken out by the next next uh, larger yeah. investment, things like that? Or are you dealing with investors that want to make bets for three to five year type timeframes? Uh, most won't, most, only a few will go further than five years, but those tend to be your billionaires who are hard to get to anyway. You know, yeah, we work, exactly. At least There's I work with a few of them and they think totally differently than a than yeah. venture, uh, uh, or I should say a uh, founding investor or somebody like that. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I think too, the other, the other component of that is, is that, you know, you, again, back to, you really need to know your audience, but I think you need to also understand terminology of what's happening when you're looking for investment, especially if you're a new founder, if you've never actually gone through and, and requested for, uh, you know, any pit, like whether I don't care if it's series A or if it's, you know, angel investment or what have you. So, you know, you used a word like uh, collateralized, you know, so let's talk through, you know, what, what is that? For, so for the person that's watching right now, they might not know what a collateralized short-term bridge loan is. Well, um, basically if, if the company went under, how do I get my money back? Right. Yeah. So this is really easy to think about in real estate. In real estate, we have a house, a building, a commercial building, whatever it might be, a piece of land. And if I put a million dollars in, um, you know, potentially that's my collateral, my guarantee that I can sell that. If yeah. you don't do the flip, if you don't improve it, if you decide not to be a landlord anymore, I can take that piece of land or that building and, and resell it and get my money back. Yeah. Um, in technology, it's quite a bit harder because we tend to have just patents and intellectual property. Uh, some and then there and then product product companies. It depends on where they're at, but sometimes you can use your accounts receivable, right? As, uh, mm -hmm. as collateral, um, you can use uh, obviously still the patents and things like that could be turned over to the investor. But 
those are the types of things that uh, quote unquote guarantee the investment, even though there's still work to do. It's not a true guarantee unless somebody's yeah. like got a personal loan against it or a personal guarantee against yeah. it, which many founders have to do for their first few investments. So well, and I was it. just going to say, in order for them to get that across the finish line, and, and we've seen where investors actually want a personal guarantee attached to it. How committed are you? The question will then become, okay, if you're asking for a million dollars and my return on investment is three years from now until you actually are profitable, not driving revenue, but actually profitable, what kind of skin in the game do you have as the founder? Investors are looking for that as well. Right. And if you're and if you're one of those that says, oh, I've already put two million in and not taking a salary for two years. Yeah. If you have a lot done, that might be okay. But if you don't have a lot done, you don't have any revenue yet. You're still going to have to be in that mode to get an investment. So. Yeah. And, and then it becomes a question, why have you been in it for two years and you're not at revenue yet? Right. Like then there becomes right. to the, you know, what's your strategy, right? Like why, why are you where you are right now? What's the predicament you put in and be able to explain that. Yep. Absolutely. There's, yeah. there's just a lot that goes into the uh, vetting of the founder to make sure that if I give you the money, something's going to happen and it's safe. Yeah. Um, we'll talk a little bit about like uh, LOIs. So, uh, letter of intent. So we've got a, a company right now that we're working with that has three really good letters of intent, you know, and some of the questions that have come up is, is why if those companies and their big brands and they have a letter of intent, why have they not invested in the initial build out? And this is a SaaS based business. So those are the kinds of questions that as a founder, when you're looking for investment, you need to be prepared to answer. And in some cases, um, can you turn those into contracts upon delivery of X, Y, Z? Yeah. Right. And yeah, some- good, good point. Like how strong is that letter of intent? Right. Right. So, yeah. you know, we've asked a couple of uh, two, I can think of two companies in particular, take those LOIs and turn them into uh, uh, TBD contracts upon delivery. Right. We'll pay you X. We'll use it uh, once you deliver A, B and C functionality. So, okay, so Jack, let me, here's another question that I just thought. So how important, and, and we're not, we're not going to talk about verticals or anything, but how important do you think celebrity endorsement is in, in the, in the, in the pitch, right? Like well, as part of the, the value proposition. It really depends on the company, right? If you're doing an alcohol brand, if you're doing a, a new social media uh, type thing, it's probably somewhat important because that's the way those things get off the ground. Uh, It may not be important two years from now, but it's important to get it off the ground. You know, if you're uh, working with a couple companies in aviation and aerospace, probably not as important there, right? Uh, It's probably important to have good endorsements from people in the field that have vetted your company and your, yeah. and your, your space, but um, not necessarily, you know, you know, I don't need. And in fairness to them, they might be a celebrity in their industry. Right. 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 Just not everybody knows they're not a movie star. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or a singer or, you know, Ryan Reynolds. Right. (laughs) FYI bucket list. Anyone can help me meet (laughs) Ryan Reynolds. Just saying. (laughs) Just had to throw that in there for a moment. But but again, it is really important. I think that it shows that you've got reach, right? Like that you're, you know, and that you're willing to do what it takes morally and ethically, obviously, to try to get your product or your service or whatever it may happen to be across the finish line. And that does mean a lot. So it comes back to, you know, who are you as the founder? You know, what effort have you taken to date? 
Uh, and who's the team? So talk a little bit about in your experience, how important is recognizing who the team is as part of the pitch? Well, it, again, this is going to depend on company stage, but the, the, the core team, whether it's your technology build, your CFO, your VP of sales, these are the key positions, right? Yeah. Um, if you're doing a lot of logistics, your COO or whoever would be in that space is, is important too. So you're always looking at those roles. Have they been in the industry before? What's their track record? And um, are they already working with you? Or are they just a, I had one almost a year ago now, uh, where he had a very nice management team, but upon due diligence, none of them were working for him. Yeah. They all said they would work for him upon actually the second investment, not even the first investment, right? So that kind of killed that deal because uh, it was just him and one other person really as co-founder really running the company and they wanted a lot of money to roll out uh, some metaverse thing that, you know, whatever, won't go there. But point is, is that uh, it wasn't the real, it was a, it was a management team that wasn't really working. Now we've got, a, I've got, a, we, Lisa and I worked on another one here in the last six months where the management team, it was similar. They weren't all working, but they were all working in the company while doing a day job to fund, fund their salaries, but they were all working in the company actively versus just showing up to a monthly meeting. So uh, that's a little different. That 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 kind of passes the mustard for the most part, versus just some people that said they would come work for you and they attend maybe a monthly status meeting. Yeah, and I'm trying to think of some like as as we're talking, I'm trying to think of some of the questions that have arisen while we've been doing pitch decks with investors. Right. Another one is you know another question that has come up where you know we had to navigate through to figure out you know how do you solve. And how do you answer this is that, you know, are you taking a salary like is part of what you're asking for and you need to explain what are you using the money for right. is part of it, you know, for salaries. And is that a justifiable expense to use from an investor profile? And in some cases, yes, depending. Right. And in some cases, no. Right. So tell tell me and people that are watching you know when it, when is the best case scenario to say you know what we need to use x amount of dollars 5% 10% 50% of the money whatever it happens to be for salaries uh, moving forward well you're at an inflection point where you can't move forward without those people being full time yeah right uh, or you have some talent maybe in uh, again computers or manufacturing or something so but some talented uh, person that you need to bring in it might not be an executive, just a talented key key contributor that you need to bring in and start paying as a as a full time person. So those are examples where it's okay. Um, you know, when you're looking at founders and your your executive team, a lot of times if you're pre revenue, that's going to be looked at really heavily. If you're in revenue but unprofitable, you know that's that might be okay if you're growing, right? So those are the kinds of things that uh, you need to look at and consider when you're talking to that investor, if I'm pre-revenue, they're going to have a lot of, you know, there's going to be a lot of focus yep. put on that. In revenue, a different type of focus. In revenue, break even and profitable. Okay, you can almost do what you want as long as those salaries are baked in or baked in as part of the growth plan. Okay, so I have a question for you. We recently, you and I just vetted, vetted um, I'm going to politely call it an idea. Okay. <laughs> So 
have you in your experience they had no like they had an idea they brought it forth they had a business plan they had a strategy but there was no collateralization there was you know there was no asset right it was a real estate deal but the real estate hadn't even been purchased yet right no it wasn't even under contract it wasn't even under contract yet have you in your experience ever and you've been doing this much longer than i have ever seen somebody invest just in the idea Generally, no, unless they know that space or that idea really, really, really well. Yeah. Generally, no. And if they do, what I've seen is they put in their own kind of uh, CEO or yeah. uh, president to make sure that it happens because they are going to take it the direction they want versus maybe where that founder is. But that founder's got a lot of strategic experience that, that can help drive that, but generally not. Yeah, yeah. And I think... So often, like, especially when I was with, in this marathon, I mean, there was a lot of really great ideas, <laughs> uh, again, but they were ideas, right? They, you know, had, hadn't even had a business plan yet, right? So right. I think that there's a, a misconception between what's an idea and what's what's the reality of, of an actual investable vehicle, whether that's yeah. product, commercial, residential, whatever it happens to be, real estate driven, what have you. So... You know, what would be your first tip for somebody looking for uh, seed investment? So come with a tight deck, right? Um, but more than that, um, understand who you're pitching to. So in other words, uh, yeah, we talked network, a little bit about that, network right? heavily, network heavily to get in front of the right person for your space, your either product space or application space or technology space, whatever the case might be. Because like I, I'm working with one group right now, I uh, just started working with them actually about a month ago, maybe give or take. Uh, before they started pitch to us, they pitched to over, a, he said, I haven't vetted it, but over a hundred different investors. Okay, if you've pitched to a hundred investors and you've gotten very little traction, uh, something's wrong and stop the madness, right? You probably should stop the madness at 10 or 15. But, uh, um, but long story short is you know who you're pitching to because just pitching to anybody, uh, especially VC groups, because VC groups, a lot of times they have a partner in each area yeah. and even the smaller ones do. And they'll take meetings to take meetings because they don't want to miss anything. But whether they're really, really, you know, worth your time to spend half an hour or travel or, an hour on a Zoom call, you have to vet that out a little bit. Now, it's good to practice. What I mean by that is, um, you know, if you've done 10 or 15 and you haven't gotten any money, good. You've practiced. Let's figure out what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong. Because uh, a lot of these founders aren't used to speaking to people, especially speaking to people that can control their life from the yeah. perspective of an investment. So they get yeah. a little nervous sometimes. So, you know, practice is good, but don't waste your time just pitching the pitch. What to, what do you think for people who are trying to find investors and, and they don't have great people like you and I to help them? <laughs> uh, how do they find investors, right? Like, where do they go? I mean, Google's a great resource, but beyond like, let's Google and fi find an investor. You know, if you got any tips and, and almost any. So, you know, you and I are in the founders group, right? Yeah. Uh, founders group invests in all kinds of things, hundreds of deals a year, um, you know, over half of real estate. But uh um, but we look at a lot of stuff, but we don't look at a lot of stuff that's pre-revenue or not profitable yet. Um, we, we will, we have, but that's not typical. That's important, that. meaning not profitable. Right, right. That's revenue not typical for that group. Every major city, you know, 
Salt Lake, I think is 28 or 30 in the U S I don't know what the, you know, we're growing like a weed here. So whatever, but anyway, um, you have a good weed or a bad weed, you know, Denver's five, six, seven. I haven't looked at the latest population studies, right? All these cities though, uh, you know, Boulder versus Denver versus like Colorado Springs, you know, Utah, uh, the Salt Lake area, we each have, um, uh, what do I want to call it? Incubator groups or investment groups that specialize in early entry. We're only looking at 20 to 50 to a hundred grand, those types of investors versus, uh, uh, you know, first time investors that might put in say a hundred to 900 grand or a million up to maybe a million dollars. And then others that are looking at a million plus, but generally they're going to be looking for people that are in revenue, not always, but but what I'm trying to say is locally, there are investment groups start networking, call other companies that you have seen go from startup and now their name's on a building and, and just try to talk to a couple of people there and see who they went to and try to get into their network. They may not have the right investor for you and they probably won't, but they're, the network of where they found their investor would probably be valid. That's a good one. Uh Welcome, Charles. And uh, Charles has a really great question. What are your thoughts on asking for lines of credit versus equity investments? Uh, really, yeah. Yeah. yeah the, line, the line of credit is great if you have something to collateralize it. Yeah. Right. Um, and if it's just your accounts receivable, that's going to be less good than hard goods. Um, you know, I, most of the investors I work with uh, don't get into the product areas too much because they don't want to deal with liquidating inventory. But there's lots of people that do do that. Okay, so I'm not saying that's bad at all. Um, equity's great um, early, right? Um, I will tell you though, I've made the mistake of giving up over 51% of one of the companies I created. And at about, I don't know, when I was at about a 40% ownership, you know, things started to go sideways uh, because some decisions were being made that were the wrong decisions, but uh, I, I, I couldn't override every decision at that point. And, and make sure the company stayed straight. So you got to be careful about that 50% ownership. Uh, now, if you're, you know, if you're a million dollars in revenue and somebody's giving you 10 million, you're going to be under 50%. But most investors are going to want, from an equity perspective, you to be in the game. They don't want you, you've heard this on Shark Tank, even though most of those deals never actually get funded. Um, you've yeah, heard, or, right? Yeah, or they get lost in the due diligence. Right, right. That's where that's where most of them get lost, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the key on that is that, they are always saying, I need you to be in the game. I don't want you to be less than 50%. I don't want you to be less than 60%, whatever. But lines of credit are great as long as you've got the right type of investor or bank or financial institution that uh, that, that wants to work in that industry that, that knows those products. Well, and the other thing with equity investments too that I would add is, is that what what is the, you know, the ask on the other side of that? Like, are you giving just equity or are you asking equity for, you know, is it sweat equity? Is it like, that's another option, right? Like we're talking about equity as far as shares, but there's also the sweat equity component of it, uh, that as well. And is that an option um, when you're thinking about, you know, lines of credit versus equity investments and so forth? Advisory, board advisory shares is another way to, yeah. to pitch on that side, right? Yeah, but that and that's typically for your key employees. Like yeah. you say, uh, you know, advisory shares, you know, I've got a couple companies that have given me that because I work with them continually now versus just for the investment. Mm-hmm. Um, you, know, you know, so I'm working with their board on a monthly basis or bi-weekly basis, whatever. But but typically, though, you're not going to, you know, if you want to you want to get money, it's going to be a line of credit or some kind of equity investment or something in between convertible note, things like that. Yeah. 
Yeah. And just tell people what a convertible note is so they understand if they're listening and they go, what is it? Uh, there's lots of different versions of them, but uh, I know. <laughs> uh, seen them written up a lot of ways. But the basic premise is they're going to give you, let's say, half a million dollars or a million dollars. It's debt. You're going to pay them interest. And that at some point in time or at some event, that turns to equity. It could be a uh, the next investment that it turns into equity. It could be uh, some key metric of sales or profitability where it turns to equity. But typically there's a, uh, it's a loan where you're paying interest initially, and then it turns to equity upon some event, typically two to four years down the road. Well, at least one year, one plus year down the road. Well, and you said two things. I mean, milestones are really important. So that was a great question. Uh, as you know, when, when do the triggers or the tranches happen, right? And, and what happens at that particular milestone? And then of course, as well, how long? Right. Like some investors might say, well, I'll take an inv uh, equity investment, but I want, you know, a return on that in one year, two years, three years. And that might not be your game plan as the founder of the company. Right. Too. So you need to as much as, you know, we're talking about understand your investor, understand, you know, you as the founder also have to set your own guidelines as to who you want as an investor. So it is as much. Um, an interview process or a pitch to the investor as as you actually doing your due diligence on the investor as well as the founder. Yeah. Charles has got another question for us. What is preferable in the 250K range? Convertible note, safe, et cetera. Well, Ed, that's hard to say because yeah. I, I don't know if your company would be worth 100 million one day yeah. or worth 10 yeah. million one day, right? Yeah. Um, but typically things under a million dollars are done with convertible notes. I mean, things over a million dollars are too, but you can do a lot of things, uh, you know, for that. Um, you, you know, you can also just give away 10, 15% for that kind of money. Although that would be like the initial investment. You wouldn't do that if you had traction. Uh, if you had traction, you probably would, uh, you know, like a convertible note or line of credit or something like that in those situations. So uh, part of this goes to the end game. What's your exit strategy? Exactly. So, uh, you know, what I'm trying to say here is, is that you as a founder, do you want to run this for 10 years? That's not necessarily the right answer. It's not the wrong answer. But, you know, a lot of these companies are built to be bought. I'm working with three right now. They're being built to be bought in three to five years. Whereas uh, um, other founders are trying to build them for the long term, for the 10-year haul, right? And other other founders are, are wanting, if you don't have an answer for that, like, at least put a slide up there that says these are possible exits that that could happen, right? Yeah. We're always for sale for the right price. Uh, we're happy to run this for the next five years profitably yeah. and grow it, right? Just have those options there so they know that you've thought about it. Yeah, and, and that's come up quite often. Like we've we've done a few pitches where they've actually asked, like, "What's your exit strategy?" And you know, if you don't have an answer, they're going to be wondering. Mumble, about, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So great question, Charles. Thank you for asking. So anything else that you can think of, Jack, that we haven't covered today that, you know, outside of, I mean, we were, we're using lots of industry jargon right now. One of the things that we said you shouldn't do when you're doing an investment, but um, anything that I haven't asked you that I haven't thought about? No, I think the key is just, just uh, if you're dealing with the initial investors, vet out who you're talking to, make sure that they're going to either be halfway interested or sometimes it's okay. One last point to do a pitch to an investor that will not invest, but they have a network and they can point you to the right person. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, we did that about two weeks ago and knew that person probably would not invest, but we also knew they would point us to the right types of people yeah. and make sure that deck is that initial deck is tight five, 10 slides max. Um, you know, we, Lisa and I have been able to make most pitches work in five to six, again, initial meeting, not a deep dive, but initial meeting five to six slides, but definitely never more than 10. And I think too, like as a founder, I think you persistence is key, right? Like, and don't give up. Like, you know, Jack and I, yeah. like, I think that is really, really important. Like how invested are you in making sure that this goes across and that if you found the right investor and they don't think that it's the right idea, how invested are you in making sure that you are always top of mind for them? Because yep. that goes a long way at, more surprisingly than you would think, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and a good example is we pitched to a, a particular in, investor, uh, one of the companies that we're working with a month and a half ago, maybe something like that, for sure, six weeks ago. And, you know, we got a call yesterday saying they want to have a follow up call. So right. you never know what's happening in the background. Never be discouraged because no news sometimes is good news. Yep. And always follow up no matter what. Yeah. Right. yeah. And, and do what you're going to say you're going to do. Yeah. 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 And I, I think too, like, I mean, I've hopped on a plane to just go, go and meet the founder of, of an investment deck that we're working on right now, trying to get money to find out, you know, like to meet the person, find out the person behind the company, you know, who are they? Are they really who they say they are? Cause Zoom is great, but I can't like, you know, you can't touch and feel the person. Well, the, the key to that is, the, will the investor trust giving the person a million, three million, five million, whatever the right number is, dollars, you know, and they're going to want to look you eye to eye normally to figure that out. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you, know, you bring up a good point. Is the is the group that's actually, you know, the guy that the founder who's, you know, or gal that has, you know, founded the company, are they the right person to lead the charge? And sometimes the answer is no. And that could be the hiccup in 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 the investment. Portfolio. Well, they may be the right person to out of the gate, but two years down the road as they scale and it turns more into yeah. a sales organization versus a product build organization, you know, things can change over time. So yeah, just absolutely. keep that in mind, right? Yeah. yeah. And so the last thing I'll say is if you know, as these investors come back to you, um I, I know one particular investor, he requires seven meetings before he invests. And he basically says, they can't give me a BS story seven, seven times. times in a row. I will figure it out, right? Uh, typically, you can figure it out in three or four meetings. But, uh, you know, if somebody's serious, they're not going to put that kind of time in unless they're actually thinking yeah. about it. So, uh, well, yeah. and sometimes it's about looking at what, the, what they're not saying, right? Yeah. Not what they're saying. Uh, and I think that's really important, too. Like, you know, what what is not not being said in the deck you know asking questions that are outside of what the deck is is presenting for the idea right yeah. i think that's really important as well good yeah lots of, uh, lots of things to think about <laughs> there is a lot of things to think about right so uh one last question what is the strangest thing like thing object idea whatever that has come across your desk that you went like, what were these people thinking? Mm. Like it was just a bad idea, like a really bad idea. Okay. So lately, lately, okay. I, I won't get one specific example, but I'll give an area example. Yeah. We're coming to us with a bunch of apps that go, I connect 
person needing ABC services with vendor XYZ. Okay. Um, tons of these coming through, probably one a month, maybe two a month, at least to the founders group and, and yeah. other channels that I see. And uh, been there, done that. Why are you wasting your time? Right. There's there's localized apps for different regions like Chicago and Atlanta and things like that. The national apps have proven that they can't do it that well because it kind of has to be regional to get with the contractors. There's lots of reasons that that just um, the people that are there already, unless they fail, um, you know, and they've also proven it's very hard to scale that. Right. So I don't know about a dumb idea, but you look at some of these and you go, oh, boy, I got to listen to this now for the next 15 minutes and then tell them unless they've come up with something really intricate, why they should just stop now and, and do something slightly different. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, yeah, I'm thinking of you and I'm not even going to go there. Let's just put that. I'm not even going to go there. All right. So Jack, you have your own podcast. Yeah, we have the business and tech podcast. Uh, there's a YouTube channel for it as well as uh, Apple, Spotify and all those we'll be releasing tonight. Uh, so you see it tomorrow or later tonight. Uh, one of the longer, longest episodes I've recorded, and it's me and Rob Heitman, one of uh, my IT buddies that I've worked with a long time. We both ran, run technology companies. We both work with lots of different types of companies. And we talk uh, for about 45 minutes. Normally, we keep the podcast to 20, 30 minutes. But we talk for about 45 minutes on having remote teams, both in the U.S. as well as working with remote teams overseas, how to manage that, the, uh, the, uh, the good, the bad, the ugly. Yeah, things to watch out for. But remember, we're talking about it from a business perspective of managing it, as well as a technical perspective of how to how to implement. So that's the idea of the podcast is to tie those two together, not just be an IT oriented podcast. Awesome. All right. Well, I'm going to tune into that one because that's, the, you know, I do a lot of work around the remote teaming and connection and content. So I, I like that. Yeah, it's changed, changed a lot after the pandemic. That's what we discussed. Yes, it has. It has. And they can find you at Jack G at end to end results. What, yep. what is, and you know, if I asked you today, Jack, who's your ideal customer for end to end results, who would that be? So, yeah, so outside of the investment stuff, which is yeah. kind of like 20% of what I do on a day, day to day basis, uh, we help companies scale. So, We'll help uh, companies, you know, take their app from 500 people to 5,000 to, to 15,000 people. We work uh, normally initially on the IT side because that's where they struggle. They've got it out the door, but they they struggle to scale it. But we'll also work with the business team on the business intelligence, the marketing metrics, what's working, what's not working, things like that. So uh, that's what we do. We try to help companies go from here to here, and whether that's you know zero to, you know, $500 to $5,000 or whether that's, then that's not typical, obviously, or 1 million to 50 million. That's what we do though. Very good. All right. Well, Jack, thanks again, my friend. And uh, we'll see you on the other side of the Zoom. The but, other side. Uh, Talk to you later. Thanks. Very good.